0: an aha moment that connects us to a sense of possibility. This, my friends, is what I call an electric idea. Welcome back to Electric Ideas. My guest today is Jenny Lee. Jenny is an award-winning author. She's written three books and won the prestigious Nautilus Book Award for her most recent book. It's called Spark Change, 108 Provocative Questions for Spiritual Evolution. Jenny is an expert in the fields of yoga therapy and spiritual development, She's a certified yoga therapist and spiritual coach and has counseled through the framework of yoga philosophy and spiritual psychology for more than 20 years. She's all about helping people access soul wisdom and their purpose and has so much goodness to offer. So let's jump in. Hello, Jenny. Welcome to the show. Hey, Whitney. I'm so happy to be with you today. Me too. I want to dive right in. So I know that you have been working with people for decades in the capacity of a yoga therapist and a spiritual coach. And so you say your passion is helping people access soul wisdom and purpose. And this might be new territory for some of my listeners. So I thought we might start out with just doing kind of a high level grounding and what these practices entail.
1: Sure. Yeah. Well, I guess I'll start with the yoga therapy, which I've been educating on for decades because people know what yoga is, or they think that they do. They have a certain understanding of what yoga is, depending on what they've what kind of classes they've been to. So we understand yoga as certain postures, certain breathing techniques. Hopefully, people understand that meditation is a big part of yoga as well. But there's also a whole philosophy to yoga that is really about how we manage our thoughts, how we manage our actions in our lives. It's really a science of living. So when I practice yoga therapy with somebody, it's looking at the challenges that they have going on in their life right now, looking at how this big, broad spectrum of what yoga is, can help them find balance and peace and really move forward in ways that are best for their personal and spiritual evolution, thus the spiritual coach part of my practice, which is just another way of saying the same thing I'm doing in yoga therapy, actually, which is bringing people back to an awareness of their spiritual essence, which we all have. So we are all human beings and divine beings. And we don't really, in my opinion, experience the greatest satisfaction out of life or inner peace until we have addressed the four quadrants of self. So the physical self, the emotional self, the mental self, and the, and the spiritual self. And so it's really, it has always been very important to me to help people come into an experience of their innate spirituality, how they connect with that, how they can develop that, how it can inform that's that soul wisdom piece, how how it can inform their choices in their life and their relationships and the work that they choose and just in how they navigate life. So it's work that I love and it looks different for each person that I meet with. Sometimes it's more conversational in a session. Sometimes we're doing more experiential practices like breath work or body scanning type things to get people into a somatic experience of what's going on in both their emotional body and how that's affecting the physical body or how certain thoughts might be translating into physical symptoms. And so there's a whole interrelated play between these, these four quadrants of our being that occurs and is addressed in any session that I'm doing with someone.
0: That's the perfect background, because I, I think just having... A little bit of depth and understanding of this decades of work that you have done is important for my listeners because it's obviously informed this beautiful book you've written. It's called Spark Change, 108 Provocative Questions for Spiritual Evolution. And I want to read a quick snippet from your book's intro because I think it'll resonate a lot with the audience and just your words are so beautiful and I'm a lover of words. So I think we we need to listen for just a minute. It says, there is a moment when we know that we are ready for more, a deeper understanding of life, a more profound experience of it. No one can make us ready and no one can stop us once this desire awakens within us. There comes an urgency prompted by our soul, a need to know, a need to evolve, a need to be more. So you've written an award-winning book. Congratulations.
1: Thank you. Yeah.
0: What compelled you to write a book that's all about super provocative, reflective questions?
1: (laughs) Well, the practice of asking ourselves questions or self-inquiry, also known as self-reflection or introspection, is a yogic practice. So when I was talking earlier about kind of that big picture of what yoga is, there are practices within the ancient texts of the Yoga Sutras called the yamas and the niyamas and introspection or self-inquiry is one of the niyamas. So it's something that is proposed as an essential practice for our personal and spiritual growth that we don't, we're not able to move forward in positive ways in our life, unless we can look at where we've been, look at what we've learned from where we've been look at how our behavior on a day to day basis, where that where the behavior or the reaction is coming from, how we might like to shift that we need to become really conscious and intentional. And until we're able to do that, through a practice of self inquiry, then we don't really grow, or we grow very slowly. (laughs) So it's It's the difference between like giving fertilizer and water to a plant or just letting it sit there. So yes, everyone's growing in their own kind of way and and time. Life is the greatest teacher, but we can become more intentional about how we're growing by this practice of self-inquiry. So I wrote Spark Change because this is such a big practice that I share with all of my clients. And it's a practice that I do daily is asking questions. And I find that If I'm able to ask the right question or a really depthful question to somebody, it can very quickly move them beyond a stuck place or someplace that they have just kind of eddied around in the same pattern of experience or pattern of thinking for a long time. But if I ask that pointed question, it's like I've seen it a, a thousand times where they pause and there's this whole inner process going on. Like it's an interruption of their thought. And they're like, Oh, I hadn't thought about it like that. And then this whole inner, inner dialogue, a new inner dialogue starts and they come to their own new answer. And it's so beautiful to witness this. And I've witnessed it in my coaching practice for a long, long time. I've witnessed it in my own Journaling as I'm working with questions and trying to formulate, like I said, uh, the right question can be extremely powerful. So this book of 108 provocative questions comes from both my own personal practice and, and my therapeutic practice with clients of this collection of questions, which I feel has been most transformative. And it follows 12 themes that are really an arc of change and how humans tend to move through times of transition and change in their lives.
0: So asking questions has been part of your integrated naturally as part of your therapeutic practice for decades. And I'm curious, what are a few of the questions that you find people have the most resistance to?
1: That is a really, really good question, Whitney. And without, you know, just coming off the top of my head with an answer, I would say that when people are having a challenge with, let's say, a relational dynamic, and they're very focused on what that other person isn't doing for them or a way in which someone else is not behaving in a way that works for them, and they're in that kind of blame game mentality, one of the hardest questions for people to get to is, what part am I playing in this equation? Or what is it in me that has brought this particular circumstance to my experience at this time? Taking accountability for the challenges that are in our lives is often very difficult for people. It's easier to put the point of focus outside but that really does defeat the whole practice of introspection, which is, you know, what what am I doing here? and what Or what do I need to learn from this? I mean, that's also a really hard question. What do I need to learn from this? Whatever the this is, you know, this challenge at work, this difficult person in front of me, this loss that I've just had. So yeah, off the top of my head, those are some of the toughest questions for people.
0: Yeah, that and that actually segues perfect into something I'm curious about that I know you talk a lot about. And it's this whole issue of change and kind of getting away from looking externally for change and, and kind of owning it. And I'm wondering from a spiritual perspective, why, why is it so common for people to cling to the familiar, even if they have a little bit of this awareness that it's not serving them?
1: I honestly don't know why change is so hard for humans. It's all around us. It is such a part of the fabric of life. We see change continually in nature. We know that this is the way the world works. And yet humans, almost all of us resist change in some way. And it's a strange phenomenon. You'd think that we would be wired in in a different way that would just say, bring the change on, you know, it's all good. It's all part of it. And and actually we can rewire ourselves to be like that. We can learn to look at even the challenging transitions of our lives as potential adventures. And I know that when I've been able to shift myself to where maybe I've been facing into something that feels like a loss or something that's going away. But rather than look at what's going away, I can look towards, yes, but that's creating space for something new to come. And I don't know what that is yet. And so I'm standing in this in-between. And we, we, we're often really quick to want to grasp on to the knowing of what's next. And there is this transition period between something ending and something new beginning that. Is an unknowing period. It's a period of not knowing. And we're we're also, as humans, extremely uncomfortable with not knowing or any kind of uncertainty. <laughs> as well exemplified by the last couple of years of the pandemic, you know, we we just don't know what's next. We don't know what what regulation is going to come into play or how the I don't know how the travel rules are going to change or whatever. I it's been, I'm a planner, so I totally get it. I love to have things set out for the future. And it's been difficult to do some of my work because I can't plan. I've had to just be in the uncertainty and okay, we're just going to have to be more spontaneous and take this as it comes. So yeah, it's a lot of that has, uh, has brought me into practicing more non-attachment
0: yeah i I mean, I love this topic, and I feel like, yeah, you look back at the the last couple of years, and for many people, it's like, okay, yeah, the unknown is at a next level for a lot of people and a lot of people still. what are some of your you know, what's your spiritual advice for trying to have greater peace with unknown, whether it be things that feel out of your control or maybe people who are just in liminal spaces? where they know they need to shut a door, but it's real scary when you don't know what's on the other side.
1: Yeah. I have a lot of compassion for that. All of us (laughs) who are in that space in different ways. It's a, it is an uncomfortable and scary space and there is so much that's out of our control you know it's one thing if we just are making choices for ourselves but then there's there's other people involved there's all of the world situation involved that we don't have control over and i would say the the you know the only counsel that i could offer and it's what i practice myself is to spend time daily in silence in the practice of what i call meditation of going into the stillness of trying to quiet my analytical mind through practices like watching the breath or repeating a very simple mantra like om to quell the restless mind's absolute drive towards needing an answer any answer it'll almost go after any answer and if we can calm that and just get into the stillness, then what I know to be true is that there are answers that will come from our our spirit, our soul, our intuition that will guide us one step at a time. And often those intuitive responses are just that they are just the next step. We don't get a big picture. We don't get the whole path laid out. We don't get the answers that are going to be right a year from now. We get just the one right next step. Well, as we learn to trust that and take that step and wait again and go into the stillness again and listen and quiet the analytical mind again and wait for that spirit response, then the next right step will come. And so it's very much a one step at a time kind of process.
0: I hear that. And I've experienced this. Personally, and I feel like making the shifts can be fearful, but what possibly was worse in my experience, and I feel like would resonate with a lot of people is not choosing to make a shift and being stuck in a space and repeating pattern that you kind of have a feeling isn't serving you, but it keeps showing up from, you know, your therapeutic perspective, what what is it telling us when something keeps showing up that is is clearly draining us, but we haven't addressed it?
1: Yeah, so I want to just shout out to what you just said, which is that there are sometimes there's sometimes fear or loss on either side of a choice, whether you move forward or whether you stay in a certain situation. And so recognizing that there's no choice that necessarily is going to come without some challenge is part of it too. We have to kind of make peace with challenge. There's going to be challenge if we stay in something that maybe we know we don't really want to stay in, and there's going to be challenge in moving forward into unknown territory. To answer the second part of your question about from my therapeutic standpoint, can you say it again? What What is it that we are, what is it telling us when a pattern keeps repeating?
0: Yes. And why is it common? Why do we seem to kind of cling to these patterns?
1: Well, we cling because they're familiar and familiar. Familiar territory is more comfortable than the unknown. That's what we were just chatting about. But why the patterns, what we're, what we're supposed to do really, when, we, from a, when I'm working with somebody in therapy to look at a pattern It kind of goes back to those those difficult questions that people don't always like. It's like we have to look at that pattern and say, all right, what what is it in me that keeps attracting this pattern over and over? Because we can't keep saying. I mean, if we keep having the same experience in relationships, we can't say it's always that other person. That other person. It's something within us that's attracting this. So if you keep, let's just take a really simple one. If you keep attracting emotionally unavailable men, as a person or women for that matter it doesn't matter men or women you keep uh, attracting emotionally unavailable partners well the question becomes what part of you is emotionally unavailable or how are you benefiting from being with an unavailable emotionally unavailable person what is it in you that's attracting this what do you need to shift within you to change this pattern you can't do their work. We can only do our own work.
0: Yeah. That's such a powerful message and reminder for us all. I want to make sure that we have time to actually hear a few of the questions (laughs) from the book of questions. So I'm going to go there now and I'm just going to pick the first one that just kind of stopped me in my tracks. And I'd like to share it because I think my listeners would like to reflect on it too. It was question 15 and it says, what are the 10 things in my life right now that will matter most in my life 10 years from now? So I'll say it one more time. What are the 10 things in my life right now that will matter most in my life 10 years from now? Wow, and that one I'm, I've earmarked, I'm coming back to that one. Why is this such a powerful question, Jenny?
1: So these questions, I mean, honestly, these are questions that I've been working with for years, myself and with clients. They're questions I come back to again and again. They're not questions that we answer one time and we're done with necessarily. They're questions that we can revisit every year, every five years, 10 years, because they'll, the answer will change, certainly as we change Something like this one really speaks to what we hold dear, what we value, what we prioritize. And if we're not clear about that, then we're draining energy into all kinds of things that just don't matter. And we're wasting our life force. And one of the things I've worked in hospice, and one of the things that people often say as they near the end of their life is, I wish I had given more time to X, Y, or Z my family, my gardening, my to travel, whatever it was that they prized and was precious to them, but that they didn't prioritize. And it's a terribly sad regret to have at the end of your life to look back and say that you gave your energy, your your life force energy, your very self to things that weren't of the most importance to you. So to this question, very simply to make a list of 10 things that are most important to you, that will, that if you look ahead in your life, if you were to die 10 years from now, what are these 10 things? And are you giving your life energy to them now? Because if you're not, you've got your priorities wrong and it's time to make some adjustments really fast.
0: Absolutely. And I think this resonates. I mean, this resonates with, it can resonate with people on so many different levels, but it does make you. Also pause and think big picture, not only about the most meaningful things, but for me, it has this kernel of a real letting go of, of, I know it's cliche, but so true. Like, but the small stuff, it's like, who cares? Like one of the practices that I, I have incorporated in my life is like, is this going to bother me in a week? No, then don't let it bother me now. And this is like the macro version of this in my mind and in a weird way for me, it's bringing that up.
1: Totally. That is a beautiful, I'm going to adopt that. I love that Whitney. (laughs) Is this going to bother me a week from now? Okay. Don't don't let it bother me now. Like just let it roll off. (laughs) Oh my gosh. We spend so much time sweating the small stuff. It's amazing.
0: Right. Right. Well, and I also, I mean, I can't help, but uh, I think since you've been in practice for so long that you've had your own revelations and I've had this time, you know, I turned 40 this year. It was a very reflective year. And I have gone through a lot of times where I'm like, Oh, I just wish I knew now what I, I wish I would have known back then, you know, 10 years ago, 20 years ago, what I know now, is there any like key pieces of wisdom you wish a younger version of yourself could have enjoyed?
1: Such a good question, too. This is what happens when a podcast host doesn't give their guest (laughs) pre-recorded, pre-delineated questions, but I love it. I love it. Gosh. And I am in a a new phase of my own self-reflection at this moment, and I I haven't quite come to that kernel. I'm in process on that one right now, what I would like to tell that younger version. But I think the what I'd have to say off the top of my head is a a long held belief that I have struggled with is, well, if I just do more, it'll all work out. (laughs) And I'm really recognizing that it is not always about doing more. But it's that sense of the 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 personal self the egoic self or the I that thinks that it if it just does more you know that effort 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 I'm never doing enough if I just do more it'll all work out well I'm a decade ahead of you Whitney and I'll say (laughs) that that's not true (laughs) and so take a take a beat take a rest take a vacation uh (laughs) do some more meditation let it go and yeah just do what you can and let that be enough
0: thank you for your willingness to be vulnerable and i think that's an important lesson and i think it's actually really helpful for people to know that even people that are spiritual guides go through their own you know questions and situations themselves
1: yeah for sure for sure i i hope and expect to be doing this type of inner questioning for the rest of my days. Like I said, it is a part of my daily practice. Meditation and self-inquiry, to me, are two sides of the same coin because the self-inquiry is more of the analytical side. The mind works on a question and then you go into meditation and you drop it. And you take, like we were talking about earlier, do a practice that is to quiet the mind. And then you allow the answer to come from within, from that deeper space of soul wisdom or intuition. And so it is two sides of the same coin. It's both are equally important. And to me are what take me forward in my own evolution and what I hope to help other people do as well.
0: Absolutely. Beautiful. Before we, before we wrap up, I I want to ask you a few more questions about yoga, because I know we kind of started here. I wanted to make sure we had time to talk about the book and your questions. But I think a lot of people have an understanding that yoga is not necessarily, you know, going to yoga isn't like supposed to be the Americanized workout. I'm very sensitive to not saying to saying that no yoga is is wrong. And I'm always happy for anyone who finds their way to it. But for somebody who's practicing yoga and feeling like, hmm, I have an inkling that I'm really missing the spiritual side of this practice. What are some ways that uh, that woman could tap into that a little bit more?
1: Well, I don't know if you're familiar with my first book. It's called True Yoga. Practicing with the Yoga Sutras for happiness and spiritual fulfillment. And I wrote that book when I was a yoga studio owner. And I had come into the practice of yoga with a strictly physical standpoint. But as I started studying the philosophical texts like the Yoga Sutras, I read, I, quickly realized there's so much more. And I wanted to impart some of these bits of philosophical wisdom to my students. And so I started looking for texts that would help me do that. And I couldn't at the time really find ones on the market to to do that. So that's why I wrote True Yoga. And it would be a great place for somebody to start. It's used in a lot of teacher training programs now as an introduction to yoga philosophy. It's a very simple breakdown of the eight limb path of yoga and the basic philosophy. It gives the introduction. Gives a good history of all the philosophical texts. And I'm not trying to do a book pitch here, but I'm really. It is why I wrote that book. Is for the person, for the student, or the teacher who recognizes that there's more than the postures and wants to dip their toe into that. You know, they're not ready to go read the Vedas, <laughs> or the Upanishads, or the Bhagavad Gita just yet. But but this is a, a more modern look at how we can take these practices and embody them in our daily lives. So it was very much a work of my heart as a teacher to try to offer to my students like very pragmatic practices of embodying things like self-inquiry or the practice of intentional peacefulness or how to embody the practice of purification or simplicity. And so these qualities that are so inherent to that big picture of yoga, but that sometimes a little bit esoteric. and We don't really know how do they apply to daily life. So it's certainly not the only book out there on the market. I think once somebody gets interested in this, they will find lots of resources, but it's the one that I've, I've offered.
0: (laughs) Yeah, no, that's you. I think you might be the perfect person to have asked this question. That's why I just could not, because I think it's a, a big case sometimes of like, you don't, people don't know what they don't know. So they might not think to, to look for that. So that's really helpful.
1: So, uh, on that note, I'll share another vulnerable story real quick. When I was a young teacher, I had been introduced to power yoga in Los Angeles, and so I got into this real strong physical practice. And I'd say I'd been teaching for a couple of years, and then somebody asked me something about the eight limbs. and My I had no idea what they were talking about. And I was actually a little bit embarrassed because I didn't know what they were talking about. And I thought, well, I've been teaching yoga for like five years. How do I not know what they're talking about? And I kind of made my way through the conversation, faking it and not really answering the question directly so that I could escape and go figure out what the eight limbs were, (laughs) which then began my journey into studying all different versions of the yoga sutras and actually understanding what the eight limb path is and why it is so essential for any yoga teacher to know about. And so, so yes, don't, worry about not knowing we, we only know what we know at any moment, but we can always learn something new. So I think it's really just about holding our hearts and our minds open and being curious and not being embarrassed about what we don't know, but going and and continuing to search for, for new
0: understandings. Absolutely. And I that's, that's a powerful invitation. So thank you for sharing that. I I have to almost, I feel like there is a like a, a tongue twister. And the question that I always finished with, I'm almost laughing because the the last question I ask every woman who comes on my show is what do you think women should be asking themselves more? But I'm just have to giggle a little bit because I'm asking the question to someone who wrote a book of questions about like, <laughs> I'm like, like I said, I'm going to get a good, I'm going to get a good tongue twister. And, and well, you know, your book is again, full of these profound questions. I do still out of, out of habit. I think my, my listeners would like to know from you, what do you think at this point in your life, women should be asking themselves more?
1: So the question that I always go back to in one form or another is how can I love more? And the reason that this one has been so profound to me and continues to be the one that I return to is because I believe that this is why we're here to learn to love more ourselves, one another, God, the All, the Universe, <laughs> and how to receive love. And so there is always more that we can evolve through with this question. And sometimes that how can I love more needs to be directed at ourselves if we're have been in a place of not really caring or loving ourselves deeply. Often it has to do with how we're interacting with other people. And we're seeing a lot of self-interested behavior happening in the world at so many levels now. And there's such a need to love one another more. So that's that's the one that I always return to. How can I love more?
0: That's beautiful. Thank you, Jenny. Thank you so much. I, I just want to say the title of your most recent book, One More Time, Spark Change, 108 Provocative Questions for Spiritual Evolution. I, I hope all my listeners grab a copy. I know it's one of those books where people are going to want to read with read it, sit with it, come back to it across seasons. So congratulations again. on It's an award winner. I'm really happy for you. Besides, you know, purchasing your book, how else can we find out more about you and what you offer and, and support you and follow you?
1: Oh, thank you, Whitney. I love hearing from people, readers, listeners. Uh, you can find me on my website. Hopefully maybe you can put that in the show notes. My name, Jenny Lee, yoga, therapy.com. I offer different programs throughout the year. Sometimes I'll do group sessions on Zoom. Sometimes I will run retreats somewhere in the world. I usually do at least one retreat somewhere beautiful each year with a deep theme on some of these topics that we've been on today. Possibly possibility of a new book coming in the next year or two. I don't know. It's in progress. Uh, We'll see. But if you get on my mailing list, you'll hear about it. You can also find me on social media. I'm mostly on Instagram. Jenny Lee author, but we'd love to hear from anyone. If you have questions of your own.
0: Fantastic. Well, I will absolutely make sure that all of that gets dropped into the show notes. And I know that this is going to be a really valuable conversation for my community. So thank you. Thank you so much for your time.
1: Thank you so much, Whitney. Blessings.
0: I'm so glad you joined me today. If you're looking for more, feel free to connect with me on Instagram at Whitney Woman. And if you enjoyed the show, I invite you to support me by leaving a review or sharing it with a friend. Hope you have an inspired day.